Welcome to the Alaskan Artist Podcast. I'm your host, Amy Maloof, and I am sitting here with my new friend, Amy Meisner, in the Seed Lab. And welcome to the podcast, Amy. Thanks, Amy. Yeah, super fun. We have a double Amy, double Amy show today. And uh, so I just recently found you on Instagram. How would you describe yourself as an artist? Like, what would be the, you would, when you meet people, what do you say? Okay. Mm. I usually say I'm an artist with a craft-based practice. Okay. And then that just throws them and they don't know what I'm talking about. They just stare at you blankly. Yeah, but. <laughs> right. um, no, but I, I say that because um, my work is primarily with textiles and um, and it's, it focuses on handwork and um, older skill set. Mm-hmm. And um, I also use exclusively cast off or found or abandoned literally materials textile um and some found objects mm-hmm. but um i think my connection to materials and the skill set that i bring to working with those materials um is really infused in the realm of craft okay so very process oriented process oriented but i think relationship oriented too so you know thinking about um where things come from who made them like my work does not exist without the work of other women Mm -hmm. really um the the textiles that i use are domestic textiles that come from the home so lots of embroideries and lots of crochet and things that um were made during a time when um, you know, women were making these things to make their homes beautiful, and they had time. Um, specifically, the work that my family did um, in Scandinavia. Um, this was work that was very much part of home life and farm life, and this is the work that women did at the end of the day when all the other chores were done. So. Not only was it very skill-based and intended to be beautiful, but I think it brought a lot of pleasure Yeah, to do that. Yeah. It was like a, yeah, kind of a... Like a reprieve. Yeah, meditative mm-hmm. yeah. practice almost. And yeah. Okay. How did you get into what you're doing? So, um, so my background is in textiles. I have an undergraduate degree in textile and apparel merchandising. Um, and also an undergraduate degree in art. And I wanted to go into, uh, well, I did go into fashion design. I wanted to go to Parsons to get a degree in fashion design. Okay. Um, But that was not something that my parents could afford, and it was not something that uh, was in Star And um, so what I did um, at the local university where I went to school in Reno was build my own program. And I had some really amazing professors in the honors program who were willing to let me mess around and, and do a lot of independent studies. And, hmm. and so I ended up with these two, two degrees. Um, and, and, they, and they had a they had textiles degree in, yeah, it in was, Reno? It it was textile and apparel merchandising, so oh, it was oh. um, so I was looking at science of textiles. So there there was that arm of it, but then there was also history of fashion. So there was that component of it. So mm-hmm. I spent a lot of time slinking around the costume department, yeah, and working on a lot of theater productions, which was awesome. 
Um, but mainly I worked all through undergrad and it was that first job that was, um, really formative for me. Um, I started when I was in high school, actually working for a woman and her mother in a small atelier. When I first started, they were making a lot of costume okay. and a lot of small production runs for casinos. Oh, um, like for casino uniforms shows or, or yeah, sometimes shows, but, um, these were things like uniforms. So we would hmm. do like 25 Kino shirts hmm. <laughs> that we would do ongoing were these cigarette girl uniforms, which when I think back on these, they were just awful, you know, yeah. to not only to, to work on, but also did I think about, um, just the exploitive nature of that kind of work um for these women who had to wear these sort of skimpy outfits and yeah. walk around with these trays filled with you know not only cigarettes but roses and chocolates and yeah you know so just yeah. kind of sell their wares and so just to even like be connected to that was um was very place-based i mean i think when you're in nevada and you're around gaming and and that sort of thing it's it's just odd you don't see it in a way um that you see it when you leave and look back and go oh my god crazy it's so normal when you're when you're when there. you're doing it yeah and, so there's a lot of experience with like fitting a lot of different bodies and you know that kind of thing um but then over the course of, I think I worked there for five years. Um, I mean, the casino stuff, that was a really minor part of it. Lots mm -hmm. of costumes um, for different sorts of things. But um, the main bread and butter of that shop was custom-made wedding gowns. Okay. And so um, so that's mostly what, what we did. Yeah. And every once in a while, we get a cigarette girl uniform that needed repair. Yeah. <laughs> Swing it. One would swing back through and be like, "Oh, this this pink thing again." Yeah, just, yeah. Let me just restitch all this trim back on. <laughs> um, so yeah, I made a lot of wedding gowns, and and then when my husband um, was accepted to grad school, we moved to Canada, and um, he went to UBC, which is Vancouver, and I did not have work authorization. For a while, I'd submitted my paperwork, but it was a long process. So okay. I ended up um, getting a job working under the table in a small factory. And my job at that time was to sit in the, the back room and sew on metal shank buttons you know, because the button machine couldn't handle the metal buttons. They, it would break the needles. Yeah, they, they, so they, they needed somebody to, to sew them all. And so I remember the first thing I did this job arriving to a mountain like a table covered in plaid you know acrylic skirts that needed that all needed buttons. buttons sewn on the waistband in the back right wow yeah so i yeah. did that uh eventually <laughs> eventually i got work authorization eventually i got an actual job at that same place um but it was a small factory in a basement and um I was doing everything from sample sewing to sample cutting to production cutting. Um, eventually, the pattern maker left, and I became the pattern maker. Okay. So yeah. I was so. drafting patterns and grading patterns by hand. You know, it was not done on the computer. I mean, there were 
operations that were doing this work on the computer, but mm -hmm. we were so small that it wasn't. So you guys we were using just, we did it all paper, paper, mm -hmm. and yeah, chalk lines, maybe like pencil lines, pencil, pencil yeah, lines yeah. And of course, I was in Canada, so it was like sometimes it was metric, and sometimes it was. <laughs> it's like when why why is this sometimes centimeters and sometimes not and you know sometimes it's fractions and what's going on um uh and then at that job i don't i think i was there for not quite three years and had like nine bounced paychecks it was just mm. it was awful yeah. and um had another little job for a while and then um decided i wanted to go back to custom-made wedding gowns and so the last job that i had there was in another smaller atelier and um had a, a a boss who was from manila and he was an incredible tailor just mm. phenomenal yeah and just knew fit and fabric and um draping and everything it was how to cut and when i say cut it's you know that sounds like i just cut using scissors but cutting mm. means cutting out the piece to give to the seamstress so that she can put it together. So mm -hmm. everything has to fit for her sake, but everything also has to fit the body mm -hmm. of whatever client you're working yeah. with. So, so cutting um, means more than just cutting the fabric, right? It yeah. means doing the pattern work, doing the fitting, you know, and you, when you're dealing with, the high-end yeah, fabric essentially that we just were building the entire thing, and then she puts it together, and then passing it off the to the seamstress. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and then jumping on the machine when you need to, you know, which was every day. Mm -hmm. And so, um, hmm. but yeah, being able to work with clients who um, came expecting a certain kind of experience to have a custom-made wedding gown mm -hmm. um, in that shop, um, which is pretty much. They're, they're coming in because they want it to be perfect. Yeah. And, and so that's, you have to fit their body. Yeah. There's a lot. But you also wrong. have to fit their mind. Mm -hmm. And right. they don't necessarily know how to express no. the, what the, the picture in their head is. Exactly. To and even if they had a thing, picture, right? Even if they, they ripped, even if they ripped a picture out of a magazine and mm -hmm. say, I want this, like one, one that sticks in my mind, which I just find so funny. This client brought in a photo out of a magazine, and it was um, like a a woman on a horse. It was a black and white, grainy photo from a magazine, um, very stylized, very artistic, yeah. lovely, right? Yeah, beautiful, right? Yeah. Sort of wearing a wedding gown, maybe, but had <laughs> you know a, like rubber boots on on the back of a horse. She's like, this is my, the dress I want. That's what I want. And I'm just like, like, I cannot even tell what I'm looking at. I see a horse. I see some boots <laughs> and a giant bouquet, bouquet of like wheat yeah. <laughs> in her arms. So much more like information. Just, but, but what she wanted was a feeling. Yeah. She wanted to feel yeah, she, like that she's when she wore in, this dress. Yeah. She didn't want the dress. She wanted the feeling. Yeah. So, yeah. Wow. So there was a lot of um, oh. mind reading <laughs> in that work. Yeah. Um, Which sounds really engaging to, to try to figure out what that is. Like yes and yes and it was like, also um it's like wow we it was engaging and it was satisfying in a lot of different ways and it was also really heartbreaking and so mm -hmm. in the same way that i saw a lot of waste in the first job that i had you know that mountain of acrylic skirts mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. um 
how many acrylic skirts does the world need? Really? Right. Right. And so, um, but, but that was, but we need this image. Right. Exactly. And that, I, you know, the term fast fashion was not, hadn't really come to, you know, sort of mainstream, um, culture at that point, this would have been in 93, I guess when I had that first job, I don't think we were talking about that in my mind though, I thought of it as disposable fashion Mm -hmm. and, um, because it was disposable, you know, it was lots of, of, of lines that we were producing every year and Mm -hmm. things getting returned things getting sometimes remade and sent back out. I remember putting a bunch of sleeves on some sleeveless rompers one time and, you know, kind of changing it so that it, we could resell them to another client. But that was super time consuming work. And it's not the kind of work that a factory normally does. No, no. It's so much quicker and easier oh to my just gosh. build it from scratch. Build it all over again. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was hmm. sort of a rare occurrence. But, um, but even in, with, in the, custom wedding gown industry there were clients who had no like understanding about the amount of effort amount of labor that went into their dress right so um they would just show up and it would be ready or not ready yet or you know or whatever Mm -hmm. whatever stage we were in Mm -hmm. and um but i remember one dress coming back um I don't even think the client brought it back. I think her mother brought it back after the wedding because she was now on her honeymoon or, or whatever. And mm-hmm. the garment bag that she brought it back in was one of those clear ones with a zipper up the side. Okay. And the whole thing was like steaming. <laughs> like wet, you know, okay. like when, when you see yeah. condensation on the yeah, inside of a clear bag, like what's bag. happening here? And the mom explained that, um, oh, her daughter just had this great, like, photo opportunity and, like, jumped into the Hotel Vancouver's fountain in her dress, (laughs) which was, you know, like, meters and meters and meters of silk potassoir, you know? And here, it's it's ruined. Yeah. Like, yeah. Because you made this choice. Yeah. But, uh, and the mom was like, well, you know, you can get it ready though so that we can have it boxed and you know so her daughter can wear it or so we can save oh, it for her daughter. yeah <laughs> like she's she's like can you fix it Let's just fix it and so yeah <laughs> we fixed it we ripped off the entire skirt and replaced all the fabric and sent it down the road and wow. threw it all away you know wow. the bottom you know the whole skirt of this dress was, yeah. was totally ruined so and you know we did it with a smile and yeah maybe charged her maybe didn't i don't remember right but that that part of it wasn't even important, you yeah. know, at, at that point. And I, I sort of have this memory of that being, you know, sort of beginning of the end. Yeah. So what did that <laughs> what did that for me. do for you? Like what that 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 did something in you? Like what? what yeah. Was that? I mean, I think I think what it did was it really catalyzed the lack of understanding in terms of, um, you know, the exploitative nature of labor. Mm-hmm. Right, especially yeah. and in, materials and materials, right? Which is extractive, right? Mm-hmm. Comes from somewhere, mm-hmm. doesn't it's, just arrive. Yeah, and so um, matter can neither be created nor destroyed. Like that is, like, yeah, you're, it's, yeah, um, you're taking it. And using yeah, it, it comes from somewhere, and it it doesn't just go away. Mm-hmm. So I think at, at that point in my life, 
you know, I was in my late twenties and I think I was blaming myself, you know, for just, I couldn't handle it. I couldn't handle the pace. I couldn't handle the workload. And, you know, I put it on myself, Hmm. like clearly. Right. But, you know, decades away, I look back now and, and I realize like, no, like you shouldn't have had to handle it. You shouldn't have had to continue working in, um, you know, conditions that were not beneficial and not helpful and not healthy for you as a person you needed to to grow and be um be the best person you could be yeah there were other things happening at that job too it wasn't just the clients it was also the atmosphere itself but Mm -hmm. um yeah it was time to move on yeah like it wasn't it wasn't you weren't it wasn't aligned with what you were what you wanted to be no and how you wanted to be spending your and time. really what I loved doing like the reason why I even wanted to go into the government industry in the first place was that I loved myself. Yeah. Right? And and I didn't love it anymore. Yeah. And I didn't love it for a long time. That you know, I was sort of like, yeah. Well we moved here and so um when I say here, here is uh Alaska. And that was in two thousand and I ended up going back to school and uh, doing something completely different for a while, um, which was, um, so I got a, an MFA in creative writing and um, had a different career illustrating children's books and then had children. Mm-hmm. And I thought uh, I had this groovy idea all planned out that, um, that I could do that at home with, <laughs> with babies. And um, the first one, uh, the first baby cried for like the first nine months. <laughs> Didn't stop crying. Um, so yeah, yeah, he just was like a really high need infant. And mm-hmm. um, so, yeah, I think like a lot of creative women in particular, um, women in the arts, women in design, it, it is difficult to, to maintain that that kind of practice mm-hmm. and be and be a, a parent. parent. Yeah. Be, mm-hmm. um, you know, whatever mother you envision is usually not how it plays out. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, it's tough. People don't, they think, they think that you can, well, I, I did. I thought that I could get a, get a degree in art and then make a lot of amazing work while I raised my kids. Yeah. And you can during nap time. If, they yeah. both, if both children are sleeping both and if sleep. you don't need a nap yourself <laughs> or if you don't just need to stare at the wall for seven hours. But like, it, it, yeah. I, I didn't really start making work again until, until my youngest was in second grade. Cause the first two years of once he get, he went to school, I just needed to do nothing. Yeah. It just, it didn't, I didn't, I didn't start being productive for a while. It took, it took, I think a total of nine years from when I started having kids to when I was, felt like I was engaged again with my career. Yeah, it I, just think, took some, I think it you just lose took a lot. A, your sense of self, too. And, yeah. And I know I certainly did. Long, 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 long story, long path to where I ended up, which was returning to as a medium. Yeah. So when did, how did you come back to textiles? So you did some writing, did some writing, did some, some writing, illustration. And I was doing some illustrating, um, could not do either of those things well with children. But um, circling back to yeah, so that brings me back to um, 
this long story that brings me back to returning to textiles uh, as something that I could do in the form of handwork in particular mm-hmm. with small children. Yeah. And that brought me to, I think, a greater understanding of the women in my family, um, particularly on my mother's side of the family, who they are all in Sweden. Okay. Um, my grandmother and aunts and great-grandmother. Um, it helped me understand why they did the work they did and why they why it brought them joy. And, and I think it was because they could do that work with small children. Mm-hmm. Um, you can be interrupted and come back to it. And it's mm-hmm. not, you cannot be interrupted yeah. in the middle of a painting. Mm-mm. It's very difficult to come back around to whatever thought you had on the page. If you were writing, mm-hmm. you know, and, yeah. you know, re-engage that part of your brain after you've changed a poopy diaper or, yeah. or, or whatever. <laughs> Help somebody yep, in some way. And, yep, <laughs> answered the crisis that needed. You found so, the cats. You yeah, yeah, exactly. Like <laughs> all the things that could happen. Yes. Yeah, I I tried to fit welding into raising small children. Oh yeah, and and you know my my kids would, would like peek in the garage and see if there was blue light coming out of the garage to know if they could come in and check and ask mom a question. Right. And if there wasn't the glow of blue light, they'd be like, okay, I think, but they'd come in like holding their hands Hand kind of in front of their eyes because they weren't sure if they were going to get blasted. Yeah. And like, it was not conducive for raising small children. <laughs> quite a bad combination but in my mind in my in my 19 year old mind I was like oh yeah I can totally fit that into to parenting <laughs> nope <laughs> yeah and, uh, yeah it's so, hard enough with with needles and scissors yeah um, <laughs> but yeah it's, so how um, old were your kids when you were starting to when you were like okay this one is yeah this. I think my daughter was probably two okay and my son was around older. yeah okay and that's super cool to be able to yeah. hold both those things at the same time. Not well. No? <laughs> well, no? I think, um, yeah. yeah, it's, I, um, I just did, uh, or I just had the really amazing opportunity to show with six other artist mothers mm-hmm. in Homer cool. in December. We put Super together cool. a show called Mother. And oh, so all seven of us make work that is either emerges from or in response to motherhood. Cool. Which doesn't get a lot of it's not a sexy it's mm-hmm. not a sexy topic, right? Not real sexy. Uh, no. But it's but it's, it's really important. raw and it's real. And yeah. um so I'm excited that we will be able to show um a variation of that exhibit. Um oh, in, in Fairbanks or Fairbanks, in Fairbanks okay. next. Okay. In September. Cool. And then, um, yeah, hopefully in we get it here in Anchorage. Yeah, that's yeah, yeah. It's um, it's been really great to, um, and of course, like busy moms, we are we have a Zoom schedule. We have like <laughs> spreadsheets. We have a shared drive. We have you know shared writing projects and shared you know it's it um, it's been really cool and refreshing to work with other women who do not have a lot of time yeah but who are are super focused yeah that's that's where you amazing you get amazing results working Mm -hmm. with mothers and i my kids are the oldest there's another 
mom and um, Maisha Callahan-Fried, who also has a teenager. Mm-hmm. But the others, um, the other ones are younger. They're, yeah, they're I think the youngest one's maybe three or, yeah. So yeah. Oh, cool. In it. So that's, that's been ongoing, which has been great in terms of fulfilling part of a community that can be hard it can here. Be, it can be. Yeah. It's, it's been, that's been, I would love to be able to connect with a group like that. I've, cause yeah, I've, I've connected with a lot of people that, a lot of artists that are, that are just kind of sing, they're single, they're single and they're, mm-hmm. they're able to do this thing and, and it's awesome. And, and I'm fitting it into the cracks and into the, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Cause even, be you know, really you, you were saying earlier, kids, adults, right? Maybe yeah. Older, but they still, they still need you. Yeah. In I a talked different to, way. I talked to my daughter twice today. Already. You know, we're still doing stuff. Yeah. And, and it's an, but... and it's an intense need. It's Cause when they, when they do call, you're like, there's a reason here. The stakes are high. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and, and you don't yeah. know what's, what's happening on the other yeah. end of the phone. And it can be like really good news, really bad news or anywhere in between or, or they need advice that's that's kind of the cool phase we're in like she'll call she'll be like hey i want your opinion i'm like ah and like my heart just like really me (laughs) (laughs) i should have recorded that that was amazing i mean she always asks for it she she actually we have a really close relationship but but you know as a as a parent you you always wonder like what if what if the kids are don't want you know because they're they're their own people yeah they're their own people and they don't they don't have to stick around yeah and it's beautiful when they do yeah. Yeah, yeah, you hope for it's that. a gift. But yeah, so it's a it's a different it's a different phase mm-hmm. that that I'm in. But yeah, hmm. yeah. So uh, I guess that started in about 2010. Okay. When I and what and what did you start making? Like, what were you? What were you? Were you... Um, yeah, I was working in the quilt form. Okay. Yeah, sort of two dimensional wall work. Okay. And um, that still feels like an interesting form to work in. I work in it a lot mm-hmm. and uh, and also work with uh, kind of objects. So um, usually when I work with objects, they're smaller and handheld. And I work on them at different times of the year. So usually over the summer. Okay. Because they're portable. Okay. And so I'm not, I don't work in my studio that much in the summer. I want to be in there. I want to yeah. be outside or we're going places or whatever. Something that you can bring with you. Mm-hmm. Or I just want to sit on my deck. Yeah. <laughs> in the sun. In the sun. <laughs> right? Just yeah. soak I, it it's up. one of those, those 20 days that yeah, we have I know. sunny. I'm not going to go sit I'm in my studio. Go. So I try mm-hmm. to plan out either having some kind of piece work or some kind of portable work that, you know. That I don't need to have a machine for. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And then like hand stitching or hand. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. It might be like last summer I did have a large piece that I was working on, but it was all hand work. And so, yeah, it was just super portable in that yeah. way. And I just would haul it around. And That's fun. It. That's kind yeah, of fun. Because then, then you get the, the, when you think back, when you probably look back at it and you're like, oh yeah, that piece, that, that section was, was here. That yeah. section was, was made over. Exactly. Over here, this was this was those those deck afternoons that yeah. were yeah yeah hmm. yeah so um uh, I think that um the thing that has been changing a little bit for me 
as um, more and more looking at social practice and how that fits in or balances that solitary studio practice. And so the way that I engage with community in that kind of work is um, through teaching the craft of repair, Mm -hmm. which is really important to me. So it's, it utilizes the garment construction skills that I had seemingly, I was nine, I think was when I made my first garment on a sewing machine. What did you, what was it? Oh, it was this, um, two-piece shirt it was cotton um it had a boat neck and like a, a boat neck a boat neck is sort of like a straight oh. if you picture okay it. i know what you're talking yeah it's like the um, <laughs> straight neckline know, okay yeah from from point point the, to the, point the, on your collar, shoulders yeah, yeah collarbone collarbone yeah. so no scoop or anything just sort of like a straight so it's okay. basically a square <laughs> <laughs> right um, but it was made out of um cotton uh rainbow stripe Okay, and this would have yeah. been like early eighties. This mm-hmm. would have been late seventies. Seventies. Okay. Yeah, you. Yeah, something. In my mind, I wanted it to be neon, so I was hoping. It no, it was actually rainbow. very pastel. It was pastel. Okay. Pastel rainbow. Past- okay. Yeah. yeah. So not like a vibrant rainbow, but pastel, pastel rain- rainbow. Rainbow. Yeah. So. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so simple, simple shirts and cotton shorts and things like that, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and what what did that do as a nine year old? You were like, I made I a can, thing. I can make my own clothes. Yeah. I could. Was it? Like, yeah, it was. I mean, it was formative, a hundred percent. Like that's what made me want to go into the garment industry. Yeah. Right. That put me on the path. Like learning how to use a sewing machine as a child mm-hmm. is empowering. There's yeah. a pedal. <laughs> go fast. There's yeah. You know, it's a, I mean, it's it, a really neat contraption, right? It, like yeah. sewing machines are amazing. It's amazing. They're amazing and machines. It, it's um, my mom because she's a Swede and she was taught a certain way. You know, you have to start at the very beginning. So first we had to like clean the machine, <laughs> then we had to like oil, oil the, the machine. machine, and then we had to wind a bobbin. And I was just mm-hmm. by this time I was just climbing the walls because they have this amazing pastel rainbow fabric. <laughs> it was like so wanted to be a shirt. Um, so when I taught my daughter how to use the sewing machine, I just taught her about the pedal. Mm. Just make a line. Just go. Just yeah. sew a line. Skip that other just stuff. Skip. Don't this even is, worry is, about that other stuff. This is just how to drive this. Yeah, just drive. Yeah. 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 And I, so that's, I have a domestic. She has no idea how, how blissful that I was. Know. She has no idea all the, other the, the labor that she missed, exactly. the, the, yeah. the backstory that she just boring, got to skip to. The boring maintenance of the, the machine, <laughs> um, which is important too. My obviously. mom taught me the same way. I had to wind the bobbin. I had to oil, I had to oil it. Everything had to, it took like 20 minutes to get this thing set up. And oh, I'm like, yeah. really? We, oh. Yeah. This is not So then I'd sew when she wasn't around because I didn't have to follow the rules. I could cut the corners and I, yeah. could, I didn't have to like, she was so... She's very rule oriented and mm-hmm. I'm not, I'm like, let's, I'm, I'm more speed oriented. I'm just like, I want to do the thing. Yeah. Well, but, and I think yeah. too, like, that's how my mom, my mom was raised by her grandparents. And so if you, if you took a shortcut that turned into a mistake, mm-hmm. then you wasted the fabric mm-hmm. or my mom also used to talk about like her sewing teachers. So she used to say this thing to me when she was teaching me how to embroider, for example. 
well, if your teacher saw the back of this, she would make you take it out. Yeah. And I remember that yeah. being like super confusing to me because I think, but you're my teacher. <laughs> so are you making me take it do out? I have, to, <laughs> do I have to take it out? She's like, just don't show this imaginary. Yeah, like my this this imaginary teacher, imaginary teacher, which was very real to her because that's how she was taught. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. so it wasn't her teacher; it was her grandmother, or it was her aunt, or it was someone who, you know, was very stern about that kind of work. Mm -hmm. And there were reasons why you did things in certain steps, Mm -hmm. either because it lent itself to a certain kind of strength or longevity. Or you were able to undo it easily and mm-hmm. redo it because that was an era where clothes were being remade over, right? Yeah. So my mom remembers wearing versions of clothes that had belonged to her aunts and they, mm. they took the whole thing apart and they remade it for her. But if they had cut into the fabric in a certain way or not done the seam allowances in a certain way, then, mm-hmm. then they wouldn't have been able to do that. Right. And so right. I think that there is a reason why, you know, it's like it's coming from someplace. And right. I think it's good every once in a while to remember that and um, kind of check myself because uh, we do get impatient. Yeah. Right. And we're so accustomed to the speed of things. Mm-hmm. Um which I don't think has, as a society, has really put us in a very good place. No, there's some trickle downs to yeah. that. It's, it's a bit problematic. Yeah. So, um, so while there are um, certain rules, in some ways, I'm, I'm all about you know, breaking those rules. I, I think I got to a point where I realized at some point that I had surpassed my mother's skill set with regards to garment making. Okay. Right. Yeah. And understanding how things were put together because she was very much about following the pattern, like a commercial pattern that you buy in a fabric store, mm-hmm. um, which has a certain way of fitting, mm-hmm. which isn't great, you know. And, um, but I remember understanding why it didn't fit well, like a commercial pattern. Mm-hmm. Like you, you'd pattern spend enough time in there that you. Enough time you either understood, in like, the industry or enough time, you know, making things on my own. Mm-hmm. Um, or with fabrics that she wouldn't touch in a million years. You know, I think I was in high school and I wanted to make a prom dress and I, I came home with this bolt of, I think it was just acetate lining fabric. I mean, I think the lady oh, at the yeah. store was like, God, oh, be happy to get rid of this. Here, yeah. let me give you this huge steep discount on like 10 yards of this stuff. Right. <laughs> I'm like, great. Here's mom. I'm going to make a prom dress. Like. I left the house. I was going to go shopping for a prom dress with another friend. Came home with a bolt of fabric and then a pattern. You know, I'm going to make it. And she just she looked at me. And she said, "You know, I probably can't help you. Yeah. You're on your own. You're on your are. own." And yeah. and that was, you know, I think I was probably 15 or, you know, when I realized like, oh, okay, this yeah, is me. I am on my own. Yeah, on this one. And, and then it, did you make the prom dress? Oh, yeah. And then how was it? It was amazing. <laughs> That's rad. Yeah. Yeah. So your brain works like I, I your brain would totally your yours, yours is a 3d brain you and you transition from 2d to 3d which is like 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 i'm a, i have a 3d brain as a sculptor but i don't do a lot of transition from 2d to 3d like because you're you're taking a two-dimensional thing and you're making it three three-dimensional and 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 you're and you're using using fabric it, there's not a lot of structure you can't cheat 
you, there's no there's no cheating in I mean, I mean as opposed to like um like i can use metal to make something look bigger and take and then mm. and then stick something on the outside of it like you use you're using like a body and then that's the structure and then it has to lay just right well, i mean i think the part of a garment in particular and i'll just go back to like wedding gowns there's a there was a whole inner structure that nobody saw oh of of, of the wedding gowns of the wedding we gowns? making yeah oh. so we would build a corset okay and then hang the wedding dress on the corset, the corset. you never saw the corset okay Okay. Yeah. Okay. So and, that and it that was would be intense work. Then. Yeah. We yeah. we spent the majority of the time working on um, that corset. Okay. And like then, building building the corset as mm-hmm. the like the armature essentially mm-hmm. of the yeah. Oh, and then you know the dress hung on that. So yeah, I mean, there's a lot to working with different types of, of fabrics from the outside and ways that you know a silk charmeuse would hang differently than the silk potassois would hang differently than crepe and you know that sort of thing i don't know any of these words it's amazing i mean to i don't even I, I feel like wow i haven't even like held silk potassois in decades right it's not something you go over to a fabric store and just buy just, just to go get it <laughs> at just least to, here just in alaska right? yeah no and um and you know those things that that material it like the embodied knowledge right mm-hmm. of interior of the materials and the making and the understanding of what was about to happen before it happened. Um, I don't think it's gone, right? You don't ever lose it 100%, mm-hmm. but I'm definitely rusty, mm-hmm. you know, if I were to jump back right, jump into, back that. right into it, it'd be like, whoa, yeah. like, hang on, you know, it's 30 years on or whatever. Yeah. Um, but you're probably still, you're probably still using a lot of that knowledge in yeah, other I mean, ways because it's, totally. because yeah. you can, everything relates to everything. And yeah. especially when you're making things, you can, like oh these are the this is the this fiber is like this fiber mm-hmm. so they're close enough so I bet this this technique will work over here yeah so yeah I probably, think there's definitely probably a lot of transfer of going on and and with regards to wall hang work that I do a lot of it has an inner structure that you don't see yeah and I use techniques that when I build a, a I'll just call it a quilt for example just mm-hmm. even as a catch-all because i don't think of them as quilts necessarily well because you're they're not being used as quilts not, yeah i mean and it's not even so much a use component i mean um they it's it's a quilt the form of the quilt i think is more interesting to me than the use of the quilt right so the form to me indicates something that is comforting and um nurturing and something that is made with love usually and a lot of labor and a lot of um just skills that are often passed down from from one generation to another and so working in that form is a way of kind of tapping into some of those feelings while I'm making it but also I think for the viewer um it's also a way of referencing the body you know, just mm. in terms of size. Mm. So mm-hmm. a lot of the things that hang on the wall that I work on um, would wrap a child. You know, they're that size. That size, okay. Um, I do make some bigger things, but um, but most of them are, are child-sized, mm. or crib-sized even. Yeah. 
Um, and so, so I'm kind of using that, the form and all the connotation that comes along with that form to start thinking about conceptually how to push against those feelings and maybe introduce things that are balancing that or questioning the nurturing or mm. the beauty or um, sort of balancing the dark, the white. Okay. So, okay. And is that, how, how do you, I guess, what are some examples yeah, of ways so you've done I that? I think that um, I'm doing a series right now called Sample Home. And I have a, a very lovely collection of unfinished embroideries that have come to me from all different places. Do people give you fabric when mm -hmm. they find out what you do? They they have They're a like, thing hey, they I have, what to do with it. I have all these things. <laughs> They're in my, you know, I've been storing them and I don't want to throw them away. Yeah. That's I, always, I don't want to throw them away. Yeah. I, they feel like they have value, but I'm not using them. Yeah. Or, I actually have a thing that I don't know what to do. Or so-and-so made it, throw it away. And, and I don't want to throw it away. Like, yeah. There's, there, I think inherently yeah. we understand that time, if, mm -hmm. if nothing else, we understand the labor mm -hmm. infused in something, mm -hmm. whether or not we think it's Like how beautiful. long it would take to do 12 stitches. That's going to sure. take time, right? Takes like time. that takes time yeah. and that is done and by a needle. And especially if you know the person mm -hmm. too, right? Um, yeah. So I've definitely crowdsourced a, like, done a project in the past where I crowdsourced uh, vintage linens from all over the world. People cool. sent me boxes of things and oh we were goodness. like happy to spend like $80 to ship a box to Alaska because it, it made them feel like completely relieved. You know, you're take, yeah. Yeah. Understand. Yeah. Like that, that, that's beautiful because they're, and we all have these things that, mm -hmm. that need that we want to go and we want them to have a life, but we don't know what that life is. Right. And we and we don't we don't want it to we don't want we don't want to throw them away. Sure. Yeah. I had my wedding dress that I didn't know what to do with and I I was married um you know, twenty four years ago and it was I was married as a Mormon. I was like huge wedding dress. My wedding dress had so much fabric and I, I had it archivally packed and I didn't um I didn't want to I didn't want to sell it to, I didn't want to give it to another Mormon girl because I, I didn't, I've now left Mormonism mm -hmm. and I didn't want that dress that I loved to be used in a ceremony that I no longer could condone. Mm -hmm. And, but it was a lot of fabric. And so I held, I held, I just held this thing for such a long time. I'm like, I don't know what to do with it. And, um, finally I was like, I'm going to go, I'll go take it to a consignment place. I just need space in the shed. And it was like a, it was a box. It was like this, yeah, it, was big. Big. it was a very large box in my, and it was a gorgeous dress. And like the sleeves went down to here. They came to a point. It was, it fit me perfectly. It went, it was just like, it was such yeah. an incredibly modest yet elegant dress. And, um, and I remember I took it to a consignment store and, and she was like, well, we don't do consignment anymore, but there's a woman in Fairbanks that'll take your dress and make it into dresses for stillborn babies. Wow. And like, I That's just started awesome. bawling. I'm like, oh my goodness, take my dress. Yeah. And she's super powerful. It was, and it just felt like relief. It yeah. felt like I was giving this thing that I, I, it couldn't be anything else and I didn't want to destroy it. And it felt like, like I'm, I'm grateful to this unnamed woman. I don't know who she is. And I, I'm grateful for the time that, that oh, it, I want that to it, find this lady. I do. Yeah. Maybe she'll, <laughs> maybe she'll listen to this and I can tell her thank you and send her some money. Cause I was just like, and she's like, do you want, do you want any money for this? I'm like, no, I don't. I, if this, if this can go and have a, have like 
help someone's pain be slightly less, mm -hmm. that would be fabulous. Yeah. And she's like, are you sure? I'm like, yes, take the dress. Here you go. And I just, I gave it to her and she was just, that's incredible. It was, but so I know what that feels like to have a, uh, to have fabric mm -hmm. that, that is meaningful, that, that something needs to happen with it, but you don't know what, and people hold these things. And, and we don't even, we know, we know there's reasons, but we don't know necessarily why or what. Sure. And so I'm, I'm not surprised at all that people send you lots of fabric yeah, and, 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 with, and with stories and attached. The, and sometimes the stories are not attached, right? And so I think But they're in there still. They're in there. They're like embedded, right? There's mm -hmm. that residue of, of time and, and, and labor and intention and hope. Like, why else would you sit down and cross-stitch, I don't know, a teddy bear or a... A house, like a house, mm -hmm. or a whatever know, the whatever the whatever image the was. pastoral right. image is, yeah. right? You know, um, why would you why would you take the time if you didn't have some sort of vision for it existing in you, in your life or another's life in the future, mm -hmm. right? There's there's a lot of hope there, and mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. um, when I receive these things, um, there's that there's a melancholiness to it as well, mm. especially if they're unfinished. I receive a lot of things that still have Ooh. the needle embedded, oh. right? You know, it's just like, yeah, just... I got to walk away from this for whatever reason, what, right? Where, whether they died, exactly. whether they, or they just whether lost they interest, just... or they, you know, they started out with a lot of gusto. Right. <laughs> and then they realized this was hard. This was hard. And, <laughs> and they, and, or and they, they just lost interest, you know? A million um, reasons. Yeah. One yeah. woman sent me a, a, a half-finished embroidery of a chicken that she was embroidering for her mother-in-law and she said it was a cross stitch and at some point she miscounted and so the chicken was off or I don't remember I didn't look like there wasn't enough of the chicken for me to see but she realized that if she were to continue it would look wrong it would like she had made funky. a, a, a funky she had, funky chicken. yeah <laughs> the chicken had been run over something was wrong with the chicken but she she was so disappointed, you know, mm. and it was supposed to be a gift. And mm -hmm. so she she just stopped, but she didn't throw it away because she invested so much time in yeah. it already. And then meanwhile, her mother-in-law doesn't collect chickens anymore. And, you know, she'd had it since the 80s or something, you know, just like, <laughs> can you take it? You know, can you please take it? Can you it? please take my partial chicken? <laughs> so I did. I was happy to take her chicken. But, you know, that's the kind of thing where it's like, oh, yeah, I can totally identify with that. Yeah. Um, you've. It's like the sunk cost, you know, of investing so much time in something. Yeah. And it just, you know. And it feels bad to throw it away because it's our it time. It feels bad to walk away from it, too. That feels bad, know? too. Yeah. Yeah. It's so, I, it, mm -hmm. you were asking what I'm, what I'm doing with, you know, this, these, <laughs> so many ideas. Right? Yeah. And so one series that I've been engaged in um, is called Sample Home, and it uses these unfinished embroideries of houses like i have so many of these little house embroideries oh. that are just they're all different some are really small most of them are really small are they the ones for making home is where the heart is and they put the heart in oh the middle there's of all kinds of things like that yeah. yeah oh yeah some of them are um have like clotheslines you know in front blowing in the wind yeah. and others have sheep around them you know and so um i have them all up on the wall i just look at them sometimes <laughs> it's just so hopeful um, but what I think about with uh, the series is uh, going back into them and either working on the reverse side of the 
embroidery, you can still see the shadow of a home, mm. right? But mm-hmm. the threads are kind of skipping across. And yeah. Um, so I either do that or work on the front, but each one of them is on fire. So I go back in and re-embroider fire oh. on top of the the home. So it's, and then it's inside of a larger quilt form around, um, and it's, they're central to the, the wall hanging. Cool. And so the idea of the sampler, right, this was kind of work that this is how young women learned how mm-hmm. to how to embroider how to make stitches how mm-hmm. to make it perfect right mm-hmm. was to make these samplers and so the idea of it being a sample um um is where that idea okay. sort of is rooted in mm-hmm. but then also thinking about ideas of perfection right and and the little houses that come in an embroidery kit are about as perfect a little house mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know when you think of house that's what it's you're thinking of, right? it's yeah. just like a pitched roof and a little chimney and mm-hmm. little windows and um mm-hmm. often a little tree on the side and and so they were made in a home probably right mm-hmm. someone made it while in their home but was their home perfect likely not likely you not. know what kind of energy were they putting into this embroidery in the first place what were they escaping from what were they um so in terms of like mm-hmm. the craft act of embroidery how safe was that space mm-hmm. that they were in how and, and just sort of questioning right yeah um, yeah with the like like the juxtaposing this this perfect image with the messiness of reality mm-hmm. and the messiness and of the backside the mess- yeah of, of an embroidery yeah so um which I I really engage in a lot, um, the reverse sides of embroideries. I just find them so um, charming and interesting and a um, little renegade. You know, you can really tell when somebody's just <laughs> cutting some corners and, you know, skipping way across or there's a big floppy knot or something on the back. You know, I, I just really like that because that's the part that, particularly as women, you're not supposed to show that side. Mm-mm. Yeah, that's the messy side, you know. But we, but we that. all know it's there. We all know it's there. We all know it's there, right? And, and so, and what you get, lengths, and you get the flavor of that person. Yeah, what lengths will you go to 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 present the front? Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. and how and that kind of a perfection. And so, um, so yeah, I, I really, really enjoy. Um, so yeah, just always yeah. kind of considering the materials in in different ways. And thinking about how they can be combined, or um, one of the first sample homes that I did it was combined with a bunch of um, this funny quilt technique called a yo-yo quilt, and they okay. you make circles and you kind of cinch them up, and and then you stitch these little discs together, huh. which I've always kind of looked at them. They don't, are not functional at all. Like you, okay. nothing about this is going to keep a person warm or, okay. or anything like that. But I realized, like, if I could make these yo-yos and slip a mirror into them, okay. So there's like a little opening where there's a mirror or oh. a stone. So the first two sample homes that I did actually, the sample home is in the middle on fire, and then all the way around it are these series of small discs of fabric with mirrors inside. So you kind of one light but see yourself and um yeah yeah so it's and it probably gives this illusion of depth 
Yeah, it's, it's interesting. It's very tactile mm-hmm. and it's very heavy. Hmm. Um, once you get the inner structure inside the yo-yo, which I incorporate like a wire and a, you know, the the mirror and it, or a stone or whatever, it all has to be so that and so that it hangs. Yeah, when so it, there's actually ripping, like a form inside of it so that it has a really solid structure so it's not a flock thing. Yeah, because you can't have the mirror facing down inside there. Oh, it's yeah, gotta be, be it's got to be yeah. doing that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so interesting. I've, I've been working on this um, this spray foam series, and I have mirrors embedded mm. in them, and they're little mirror discs, and I've, I've been um, like the, like just hearing this. It's like we're, do- we're kind of doing the same thing with totally different mediums. Yeah, within that's we should we should look at each other's pieces on this because they're because the because what a mirror does in there it 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 draws you into it it gets people like really I've never had people go quite so close except for the mirror pieces I'm like oh, these are just yeah it's like a little tunnel yeah that they that and they're I think like what's, people what's that There's tend to get there. close to textiles anyway yeah like I've seen people come up to my work and get like really up to it to look yeah. Um, and or they approach the work with a kind of familiarity, like, oh, it's a quilt. I know what a quilt is. And they go marching to. up to it, and then they realize, oh, there's <laughs> <laughs> maybe I don't know what quilts are. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah and especially uh, incorporating text and that sort of thing um, is super interesting to me. And um, so, yeah, I guess that's where I'm always trying to push push the form you know, a, a bit in a, you know, in a way that feels surprising or it feels fresh or, or, or different, but still familiar. But still familiar. Yeah. And it's yeah, inherently familiar because of the because fabrics of the, that I'm using. Mm-hmm. Everybody knows what a doily looks like. Everybody saw that in their grandma's house. Mm-hmm. And, and the thing that I find, I think I don't live with doilies. My husband's an architect. He would it's a doily free dwelling. It's a doily free zone. What I appreciate about them, and I've spent a lot of my life not appreciating them because mm-hmm. this is what my my more in Sweden would send us for our birthdays always. And mm-hmm. when you're fourteen and you got a doily in the mail from Sweden, <laughs> you know, it's not that's not it's not your first choice. Mm-hmm. But what mm-hmm. I understand about them now, um, not only was it her way of showing affection mm-hmm. through her through her labor, mm-hmm. really. Um, she had a difficult time. We were never close to her. Mm-hmm. I mean, we were far away anyway, distance wise, literally. But she was also from from a different time and a different place, and yeah. it was she was not a woman that we could get close to yeah, um, very like a, easily. A, a properness, yeah, to... exactly, yeah. Um, but man, she could whip out a doily. <laughs> and <laughs> the thing that I have been thinking about a lot is doilies as these laboring bodies in the home because they are objects of protection. So mm-hmm. they are they are the cushion. They would go under a vase on a really nice piece of, right. they of save antique the, furniture. They save the furniture, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. The they would save the couch, right, mm-hmm. from the macassar oil that was in hair, right, during whatever era that was, probably mm-hmm. in the 20s or the 30s, right? When, oh, right. When men were oiling, mm-hmm. oiling their hair, their and hair sitting on the right? couch. And, you were going to mm-hmm. have a couch for decades, right? Yeah. You, had, you bought a couch. That was the couch that you owned. 
Yeah. For however many years, yeah. right? Yeah. Couches were less disposable. Exactly. Everything Doilies, was less disposable. Disposable. Yeah. Right? Yeah. In that sense. You if once it absorbed all the oil, once right. it absorbed all the dust, once it kept things from fading from the sunlight, right? The doily mm-hmm. would be destroyed by the sun, mm-hmm. but the wood wouldn't be mm-hmm. of the table. That's what they were for. Yeah. And so, um, you know, think about crocheted pot holders and that sort of thing. That's a protector between your hand and a hot pot. So mm-hmm. they're, they were, that was their function, they're, yeah, they're right? Functional. They just happened to be, quote, beautiful, right? Mm-hmm. Or intricate or complicated in other ways in terms of construction mm-hmm. or not some were very simple yeah but that that was the point yeah and so i think we've spent so much time hating them there there is there's a lot of doily scorn that sure. i remember actually feeling like like it was it was almost this um i have i have quite placed it yet but what i but what it felt like growing up was like, oh, you know, just a bunch of doilies. Mm-hmm. Like those are, oh, yeah. like it was always said like that. Like, oh, like, yeah. like those are useless, and the people that made them are they're nearly are useless. Are useless as well, and, right? It's and the difference he, between we didn't you know, we didn't value them. They were mm-hmm. they were to protect this other thing, and and this may be the transition of of valuing feminine more than we're, I mean we're we're working on valuing the feminine more than we previously have. Sure, um, but that's. You know, it was women that were making doilies, and was and they were to protect this other thing that was actually important, so that so that that the other stuff could function, um, well, or that the men could behave how they wanted to, oh, and sure. wear their, wear their, their greasy hair, and their... down on top of the tabletop, and not mm-hmm. leave a water ring, or mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. um, there, was, there was their doilies were a supportive a supportive role, and they were made by the the people who were in the supportive role. Yeah, and yeah. And they took a lot of time to make. Yeah. And they were, you know, fussy to make. And and then, and then the symmetry of doily symmetry. Like I remember, I remember my mom like picking one up and be like, "This is how you check if it if this is a good one. Oh, and if it's yeah. stretching, like fold it in half and like if you have because like my mom was very my mom is still very much a rule follower and like this is how you could tell if it was yeah. high quality or if you've been cheated on your on your doily. <laughs> like every Swede that I ever knew growing up would turn it over and look at the backside. <laughs> mm. <laughs> Did it look just as nice on did the back it, as it, yeah, as it did on the front? Let me see. Right? Let me is... see. That's, that was a measure, right? Yeah. It's a marker of, of quality. Yeah. And, um, mm. yeah. So, I don't know. I think mm. about that a lot, too, with regards to, you know, craft, crafting, mm. lowercase c, and craft, uppercase c, you know, um, and and where you, where one chooses to spend their time in making what. And bringing what into the world and how and you know for what I think there's a lot of disposable craft just mm-hmm. in the same way there's disposable um, clothing and uh, you know so I think that disposable craft and like glue and pom poms and glitter and and spongy yeah. fabric that's not fabric that you can that cut a, it with scissors that a crafter would use crafter yeah. you know which mm-hmm. glue um, guns. Glue, glue guns. guns. And... Man, there's a time and place for a glue gun, though. I there sure is. <laughs> sure is. For sure. I have a glue gun myself. And, you know, it's when you've got to do a project with 50 kids and you have no money, mm-hmm. you know, I think the first place people think of is like, oh, go to Michael's and get a bunch of stuff, mm-hmm. right? 
um, I'm more inclined to like go to the thrift store and get some clothes that we can all cut up. You know? <laughs> like, so, um, which is actually, which is more environmentally responsible, like by a landslide. <laughs> right, I know. Yeah. Yeah. I think about the environmental irresponsibility of craft supplies and it just, oh, it's, I think of it in terms of fast craft mm-hmm. and glitter and, you know, where glitter ends up. And, oh, um, yeah. Yeah. I was, yeah. I just was, what was, um, it was don't. I was just watching a thing about not how the importance of not washing glitter down the drain. Yeah. And yeah, it ends up in the ocean. Ends up in the ocean. It's a, it's a, it's it's microplastics that yeah. we're now adding to our adding to our water and, system. And if you ever use shampoo that has like sheen to it, oh, that's going to be glitter too. It's really glitter. super fine glitter. Dirty. Mm-hmm. Okay, go back to if you <laughs> will. <laughs> I love this. I love this. This is. <laughs> This is so fun. <laughs> um, go back to Big C, Little C, yeah. um, if you don't mind. Big C craft mm. and Little C crafting. Um, I think what's what's happening is it's doing the same thing in terms of a divide um, as art and craft, mm-hmm. right? There's this, there's always a hierarchy. Somebody's always doing something better yeah we're adding we're adding a layer of, <laughs> right? of judgment this is yeah. worth more this, this is worth, worth more. less yeah this, this is... is worth more this is worth mm-hmm. less mm-hmm. and um and so yeah like we were just saying there's definitely a time and place for a, a hot glue gun and um and for a lot of kiddos especially like fast craft supplies are mm-hmm. their entry point that's that's all they're going to get. Yeah. Like it's usually the right? first time they've put two things together. Exactly. And some glue was probably involved and, you know, they needed to learn how to use some scissors and use some scissors on some kind of foamy fabric is probably a lot easier for them to, than to use it on actual fabric mm-hmm. or, you know, some sort of foamy material versus yeah. actual material. Yeah. It's forgiving. And so, yeah. So there's a, there's a forgivingness and you got to start somewhere. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah. So I think that, um, you know, craft gets lumped together, like the concept of craft, capital C, gets lumped together with crafting. Mm-hmm. So, it, you know, it's unfortunately the same word. It is the same word, but they're very different. <laughs> they're, they're very, very different, different things. They're and then there's, different. then there's, well, and I, I guess one of the ways, so craftsmanship is also mm-hmm. one of the, I end up using that one a lot to distinguish. Yeah. Because it's a, it can, because it, partly, partly because it's a different word. But that, but so that one's in there too, for sure. Yeah, and, and that can be in both directions. Yeah, totally. You can craftsmanship. Have, you can, can have, you can have craftsmanship in crafting. Mm-hmm. You can you be can, really yeah. get in a hot glue gun. Yep. Yeah, you can you can have really <laughs> tidy edges with your crafting materials and yeah. really attend good attention to detail on how you can have high craftsmanship in your crafting and you can have high craftsmanship in your in your, in your craft. craft. You can have high craftsmanship in your art. Yeah, and you can have right. low, cla- low, low craftsmanship, craftsmanship in your art, and that could be your your deal. That can be part of the style. Yeah, right. you can also have something that's called sloppy craft, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Which is something that came about as a term. Uh, I want to say in like early two thousand. Um, there's a book out called Sloppy Craft. Okay, um, just kind of looking at. Um, you know, ceramics where the glaze is like, yeah, it looks like this, looks like, kind of looks like this. It's not, you know, it just doesn't, it's just, not, craftsmanship is not the point in yeah. terms of what we think of as craftsmanship. It is, the point is, as experimenting with the materials and experimenting with 
the forms and, mm-hmm. and you know maybe there's speed involved and you know the whole other um you know lots of theories on soft craft but um yeah so i mean i think within each genre you know there are these hierarchical components mm-hmm. and you know even within the fine art world oh you know, there's the acrylic painters but then there's the oil Mm-hmm. And then there's a watercolor painter. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, it, wherever there is, they fall, right? There's right. always some kind of, um, some kind of status that's happening. There always know. is. It's, yeah, it's, it's just silly. <laughs> it's silly, silly, and really important. Mm. Kind of. I don't know. It, it, I, I guess what's really important is who gets to decide, right? Right. And and because and the only reason why that's important is because it leaves so many people out, mm-hmm. and you know for years people who were who worked in craft whether it was textiles, ceramics, metal, glass, woodworking, ceramics, woodworking, mm-hmm. yeah. So we're in like a completely different category than painters mm-hmm. when really in the beginning. The painters were lumped together with all the other artisans, right? Go and build a cathedral, and the painters were brought in at the last minute to paint the walls. Yeah, to, to add the thing to the surface. <laughs> right? Uh-huh. And it wasn't until, you know, the church was like, oh, hang on. <laughs> we can really capitalize on on this imagery and and really get our message to the people mm-hmm. through through painting mm-hmm. you know and people then, really respond to this and then the, yeah. and then there was the split right yeah because all the other crafts craftsmen were now supporting exactly. the painter so right. then that then there's a hierarchy right and craft also mm-hmm. craft incorporates the body right it's mean? so physical oh mm-hmm. right painting is the mind mm-hmm. right so it's conceptual mm-hmm and and I think that's also the other mm-hmm. split, right? That that happened kind of right around the same time, and so um, and there's a reality to 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 the to the craft. Like you're 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 working with the materials, and the materials are pretend, are not pretending to be something else. The materials are being what they are. Mm-hmm. They're they're not where as soon as you go into a like painting that you're unless it's just non-objective painting but as soon as you're trying to make paint look like a tree now you're now you're in, in the realms of conceptual work so sure. like the but but up and up until that line the the material gets to be what that material is it gets to be about what it what it is actually made of yeah so there's a there's a reality that that then moves once you cross the, once you cross that threshold and even so much with like making little houses out of bread that reality has been jumped sure. from from the doily that was that was about itself that was about fabric being a buffer to a thing that's now conjuring images and bringing in other external ideas and feelings. Mm-hmm. So, like even even though those are probably more considered craft, yeah. By, well, by, and they by, were from a kit, right? They right? were from a kit, you know, mm-hmm. a lot of them, and so they were. Yeah, they were a craft. They were following someone else's directions, you know, and making a thing that was someone else's idea. So you're mm-hmm. reproducing mm-hmm. Um, somebody else's someone else's idea, 
yeah, idea of what a house is. Yeah. And, and you thought that was a good idea too. So yeah. You're going to make that house. Because you picked that house, <laughs> picked that. not this house to mm-hmm. embroider, but you picked this one. Mm-hmm. You know, so there's something mm-hmm. there that's, that's a draw, mm-hmm. something that you um, are connecting to, right? In terms of whether it's um, your own memory or your own um, sense of what's beautiful or aesthetic or, mm-hmm. right. There's, yeah, there's it touched some something sort of in you that, yeah, exactly. that you responded to. And so, um, yeah. And I mean, I think that the idea that craft isn't conceptual is wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think that talk to any craftsperson, they can go on and on and on they and can. on about why they do the work they do and what yep. their goals are and what they're trying to achieve. And yeah. The bigger picture of what they're doing. Yeah. Using their relationship that. to the materials and, mm-hmm. the, you know, this is, Right. So, mm-hmm. um, so I think that, um, uh, back to like, that very first question you asked me, like, how did I describe my work? I'm an artist with a craft based practice. And mm-hmm. so like, I've spent this whole time explaining. What that means. <laughs> well, because <laughs> it's complicated. It's complicated. It's complicated. I know, <laughs> I know, but it's, um, but it's also <laughs> important to me to, to talk about yeah. craft, right? As, yeah. Because it's part of it. It totally is part of it. Yeah, it's my mm-hmm. connection to materials and and technique and and the way that I was taught. I think has mm-hmm. a lot to do with craft, like mm-hmm. yeah, the heritage it, of it. Yeah, of there's that. like a lineage. Not that there is not a lineage with with painters and who you studied with and you know and that sort of thing. But it's different with craft. It's like there mm-hmm. are different spaces where you learn craft. Mm-hmm. You learn from mentors and teachers, yes, but you learn from family members. Mm-hmm. You learn from community. Mm-hmm. Any more, you can learn so much online which is just completely crazy Mm -hmm. um and it's you know and i think about repair in particular there's a lot of opportunities for learning how to do that online but the work that i've been doing in community has been so important to me um because i go to learn i go to expose myself to as many different kinds of repairs and i'm talking garment and textile repair that's Mm -hmm. the kind of repair that i teach um because I want to learn. Yeah. I want to see it. Like I'm repairing stuff all the time in our house, like constantly. It's just ongoing maintenance because that's something that's just important to me and it's important to my family. And, um, mm-hmm. but there, that's mm-hmm. just one sort of microcosm of the kinds of things that get repaired. But I'm really excited when I teach a workshop and people bring in all kinds of things. Mm-hmm. And then you get like I new, new problems so to much. solve. And new, yeah. Yeah. New ways I love of... it. It just really turns my brain on. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so hmm. craft or repair to me is a craft. So it's mm-hmm. the craft of repair. Mm-hmm. And I feel like it's outside of the realm of the big five that it, we just talked about in list off. Mm-hmm. But it is the, it is the craft that runs between all other crafts. Because if you don't know how to make, it is very difficult to repair. Yeah. If you don't understand how materials go together, if you don't understand how they function together, mm-hmm. or why, where why the stress two things points, repaired together, what, yeah, mm-hmm. what the, where the stress points are, or why this, why your idea of repairing it is going to fail, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, um, you it's, it's good to have. You don't have to have a good sense of making, but it sure helps. Yeah, mm-hmm. sure helps. Yeah. What well, listening to you talk about about craft and the distinction. Like, like, uh, not the distinction, but like your 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 passion about craft is it's really lovely. Because 
partly because it's approachable. Craft is approachable for people. Yeah. When I ask someone if they're an artist, then this is, it's always an interesting question. Like, when did you, when did you, when did you realize you were an artist or are you an artist? Like that, that title is terrifying for a lot of people. Yeah. It's kind of nebulous, right? Yeah. Because it's, it's because what it's, society it, thinks of you. You're saying, yeah, you're, you're, you're proclaiming I'm an artist, which means a lot of, a lot of things. It's a, it's a, it's a big it's a big one to to decide that I'm going to put this this artist coat on, and, and if you're a craftsperson, you've got some proof, mm-hmm. right? In a way, mm-hmm. you can throw a pot, mm-hmm. you can weld a railing, mm-hmm. you can sew a garment, and and how well you do that thing is obvious, mm-hmm. right? Not. Not always. Like if you don't have a super trained eye, maybe you miss it. But if your yeah. pot is not centered, it's, okay. <laughs> you know, it's going gonna... to be visibly. It's not going to you know. It's going to be wobbly it's, it, or whatever. Yeah, it's it's going to tell you if the garment's going to tell you exactly. Well, it's mm-hmm. not going to fit or it's going to fall apart. Mm-hmm. And let's not have a railing fall apart, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, or, we, or the welds are going to look sloppy or or, mm-hmm. or whatever. Yeah, right? there's, there's all that that goes in there that has to be. Mm-hmm. It has to be up to a standard. Of, of craftsmanship right and it's and, a little bit more yeah. recognizable in terms of what we live with every day mm-hmm. and what we use and how it feels when we use it i have you know mm-hmm. i prefer to have coffee in the morning out of a hand-thrown mug yeah because it feels yeah. a certain way it feels, yeah it feels really good and mm-hmm. and there's one in particular that i really like to use every day yeah. and when it breaks i'll be really sad yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Um, yeah. I think the same with textiles and clothing, like we are so intimate with that material and Mm -hmm. it's, it's become kind of a cliche when I hear people talk about working with fabric. It's like, Oh, you're, when you're born, you're wrapped in fabric. And when you die, you're wrapped in fabric. You (laughs) you sleep in fabric. I'm like, yes, yes. We all live with fabric. fabric We all live with fabric. Yeah. Um, but it doesn't actually mean that we know it. No, I was Nor just about to say that. Thank you for bringing it up. <laughs> exactly. We don't know it in the way that our grandmothers knew it. Mm-hmm. Our grandmothers knew it. If they didn't know it by sight, if they didn't know quality by sight, then they knew it by feel. Because mm-hmm. that was the first thing that I was taught was like, you go into a fabric store and you start, you start. feeling the fabric. Yeah. And um, I'm a huge proponent of secondhand marketplace and and buying clothes secondhand and so it, it's very handy to know fabrics when you go into a situation like mm-hmm. that yeah because usually the label's gone label's gone the label's it's all gone, smushed in there it's dirty things, or it's, you know? it's been, but yeah, man it's, it's i can been, see merino old. wool like across the room <laughs> <laughs> that's a, that's what's that's, yeah it's helpful cashmere oh <laughs> yeah i know <laughs> Oh, yeah, no, that's so that's something else. I mean, we could keep going on the quality of fabrics and how they're going downhill. But you mm-hmm. mentioned cashmere, and I read recently it was in a um, it was in a Twitter thread, actually, of all things. It wasn't even on Flora paper. But um, somebody was asking why cashmere poly of cashmere sweater doesn't seem to be what it used to be. Mm. And if you've ever gotten a cashmere sweater, um, inexpensive so mm-hmm. i'm talking like 40 mm-hmm. or 50 dollars mm-hmm. um which you can get them um you wear them one time and they start pilling right they go mm-hmm. under the arms like yeah. where you have um any kind of um motion or you know rubbing yeah, against itself they yeah. start 
they start pilling. And uh, whereas cashmere from 40 years ago, they still look brand new. They Hmm. were well taken care of. So cashmere sweaters that are old are still in great shape. And the reason for this is because at one point in, I want to say like the early 2000s or so, the global marketplace for cashmere just started exploding. So cashmere comes from a goat. And um, so in, I guess, Mongolia, where these goats were, the goat population went from, you know, like 5 million goats to like 20 million goats in a matter of like 10 years. Wow, because of demand. Because of global demand. Of that, yeah. And so um, the animals are stressed because they're not getting enough nourishment. And they're mm-hmm. they're just grazing everywhere and eating everything, and so just as just any animal or human, yep. you know, if we don't have nourishment, it affects our bodies, it affects our hair, and yep. so the actual staple of cashmere is not as long as it used to be, um, and um, yeah. and it's more fragile. The staple. What is the staple? So a staple to? is a is a fiber. The length, of a fiber. length of a fiber. So okay. like a cotton staple. Okay. Is the length of the fiber. Same with cotton. Similar things are happening to cotton due to climate change. Oh. Certain cottons can't be grown in areas where they've always been grown huh. because of like there's water or, or whatever. Changes, growing conditions, environmental changes. Soil that conditions, you know, all sorts yeah. of things. So, um, yeah, so cotton, is... the cotton staples are getting shorter and more fragile. As well. Wow. And, um, there's a lot of talk about like recycled cotton, recycled garments, and you know using recycled threads, and mm-hmm. you can do that. But every time you recycle, a, a sh- let's say you have a cotton shirt, in order to recycle that fiber, you have to chop it up mm-hmm. and then re-spin it. Okay, yeah. But now you've but chopped now up now the fibers, so they're really short, shorter. and so yeah. now you have a weak yarn. Yeah. So it's um, the idea of recycling clothing is. It's farcical. Yeah. It's farcical yeah. because not only that, what I just described was a... It's not even good in theory. No, it, because all our clothes are made of blends. Mm-hmm. So, so we can't... You can't separate a polyester nylon cashmere blend. Yeah. And <laughs> then extract the cashmere you only. And pull you, out you that fiber. No, it's not, yeah. it's not even possible. So yeah. I, I so find like, there's a lot of greenwashing can, yeah. happening, you know, with, in the garment industry, which I've been following... So I've, I've always followed because I find it fascinating. I'm still yeah. really interested in that kind of thing. But yeah, no, it's yeah, it's like it's like a, and it's almost used in a way to get like this is what like with plastics what what was done. You know, most of the plastic recycling um, advertisement was funded by the oil companies because oh, yeah. so that we could so that we would feel better about using our plastic because we thought it could be recycled. The reality is that not that's not the case. It's it's. Not even close to the case that we are getting like viable recycled plastic at the rate of that we that we think that we are that we're putting it in the bins, and yeah. and but it's it's so that so that we keep consuming. It's it's they're they're using recycling as as oh, yeah. as as, as, a, as an so excuse we'll keep, so we'll that we'll keep consuming, consuming our our initial our our initial products. Yeah, so, no. we, so we can feel better now. Yeah. We're and but but the it's a it's not even a band aid. No, it's just. Aid. It's it's just it's just it's extra just labor for somebody. <laughs> it's just <laughs> not even yeah yeah. It's really interesting. And so it's, part yeah. of you know like coming 
full circle mm-hmm. um, to use making the choice to use the textiles that I use is so that I I don't I'm not generating more textiles like I'm not consuming new textiles mm-hmm. right I'll I'll use new things if I need to um, if I batting or something on the inside of something mm-hmm. that's new mm-hmm. but. Other than that, everything is either made from clothing or it's made from abandoned textiles yeah. or or whatever and yeah. get my hands on. Found yeah. Objects upcycled. Yeah. yeah, it's not um it's not new. Yeah. No, and that's just important to me as a human. Mm-hmm. If I'm gonna neat. put if I'm gonna put that's new neat. things into the world, mm-hmm. um, then they're at least going to be made from something that already had another life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's cool. That's super cool. And and the conversations that probably start and the ideas that are generated from in other people's minds when they see what you're doing, the trickle down of that is. Yeah. And I think that's special. how, that's why I like the social practice of teaching repair and, mm-hmm. and also maintenance, right? Just sort of like having these conversations about cashmere and how do you know if it's what you're wearing is wool and how do you know if it's acrylic or how do you know we've, we've done in repair workshops, burn testing mm-hmm. and to see how the fibers react. To see what this actually is. Mm-hmm. To see how much plastic is in it. Yeah. What is it? Does it, does this, it actually this, melt? Is this actually wool? Is this? <laughs> Yeah, because yeah. wool doesn't make a hard black bead. Uh-uh. And, then, and wool doesn't smell like that no. when, you, when you hold a flame on it. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I use wool a lot for my um, for my drop cloth if I'm welding in someone's home. Oh, yeah. Because I'll, I'll use wool and leather. Yeah. Um, it works the best. And cardboard. Yeah. But, yeah. Yeah. Interesting. So you, you just recently taught a class here at the Seed Lab that was a repair class. Yeah, we had a whole series. I have the privilege of teaching with two other instructors, uh, Ming Stevens and Jamie Hirano. And it has been so fun to have two other people to teach with. Oh, bet. Um, and the last class that we taught, um, I think we had like 30 people come. That's awesome. And so to have three instructors, you know. Yeah. We have people come and so mill That's about a busy, for That's a well-attended class. Yeah. It's it, busy. Was, it was really exciting. So Yeah. Doors open at 5.30 with first hour. We're all kind of like milling about and seeing what people have brought. 6.30 is a formal tutorial. And then we're there until 8.30 helping people one-on-one. and Problem solving. It's yeah. great. Yeah, That's it's fun. great. And yeah, so I wish I could have come. It's, it's been wonderful. So we'll take a little break now for the summer and then come back again in the fall. Cool. And um, we always teach darning. We always teach um, sashiko um, denim repair, which is a, a just a way of of pairing denim by hand and mm. it's a japanese style of hair and um there's a couple things that are just sort of ongoing mm-hmm. that it's, it's always easy to to for darning for example you can mend a sweater you can mend a t-shirt you can mend your running shoes you can mend. you know there's a lot of ways to apply it yeah yeah well, i need to i need to bring some of my work clothes in because i'm always burning holes in my clothing yeah patches so that's mm-hmm. the only thing we teach too. yeah yeah i've been <laughs> i've been a i've been a self-taught patcher for a very long time <laughs> you have to my, be. my patches are yeah you I've have been, to be because you can't replace your pants all the time no. they're expensive yeah i've been patching with leather i've been using yeah. i've been using deer leather because it's really nice because it's it's supple it's supple it, go, it stretches all the directions that's right it's got a and four-way not, stretch and it, doesn't, yeah. and it doesn't burn that's smart so i've been using that one yeah yeah, send you pictures of my of my patching jobs. Love it, I love <laughs> um, it. So, how do people connect with you if they want to see your work and yeah, the best learn from you. The best place to see what I'm up to is Instagram. So that's at Amy Meisner Artist. Okay. I'll put a link in the show notes to this. Yeah. yeah, and um, yeah, I'm 
generally on the calendar at the seed lab at least six months out of the year. Love it. Thank you so much for coming in. Thanks, Amy. This is fun. This is so fun. Yeah. All right. Uh, Thank you for listening to the Alaskan Artist Podcast. And uh, check out the show notes and send me the artists that you want to hear from. Bye.